If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be motivated as heck, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to how can you give your character real direction? And how can you make role-playing motivations easier? And what can get you more invested in your own character's story? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. I can't say my name normally anymore. <laughs> Just yeah. officially Jordan. Are, are we, should we be worried about, should we take you to a specialist or something? My faculties? Your faculties are failing apart. you. That's all right. Hey, speaking of faculties not failing me, we've managed to do 50 complete episodes of this show. Thanks for coming along on this uh, 50 episode journey. That means you've listened to roughly, like if you've listened to all of our episodes, the amount of time that you've invested in this, I hope has been worth it because it's extensive. It's like at least 25 hours of content, I guess. At least. Oh, you're committed. Thank you. So tell me about your shameful character, the one that you created and tucked away in the corners of your mind because they ended up being as interesting as a vacation story. <laughs> uh, and you haven't yeah. told anyone since. It's funny because I know exactly what you're talking about when you say as interesting as a vacation story. It's just like when somebody's trying to tell you about their thing and they're like, uh-huh, and then we went and did this, and then we went and did this, and then this happened, and then this happened. And you're just like, could somebody end this? <laughs> could somebody step in? And you're, you're like flashing the eyes to passerby. She's like, help me. Help me. I'm stuck in this. As people are telling you their half hour backstory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. For real, though, my very first character and the one that's still nearest and dearest to me, Seven, started that way. Luckily, through this podcasting 50 episode experience, um, we've all learned of this, a couple things. <laughs> yeah. All of this introspection has led somewhere. And I've actually improved this character. Uh, because honestly, I got bored of the character. I cre first created him, geez, probably going on 10, 12 years ago now. And at the outset, he was complex and super nuanced. And there was like a million angles to this twisted and, and turning backstory. And I think that's great for some like short fiction one day. Yeah. But he just did not play well in a group. He just needed to be a solo flyer. Yeah, and like when you actually sit down to play a character like that, they just, you can't keep it all in your head. No. Who are they actually? What do they act like? You've got all this stuff figured out, but... What was yours? Uh, mine's kind of on the other side of it, where I just had a, had a fun image in my mind. I created this barbarian that basically just had cursed armor that bulked up when I went into a rage. So the armor was magic, not the character. And I just had this image of my head of like <laughs> a, a smaller dude wearing this weird patchy armor and dragging along this massive sword that clearly was too big for him until he went into a rage <laughs> and it became cool. But actually role playing that, there was nothing. There was There's... nothing to role play. Yeah. <laughs> just an image. <laughs> 
and <laughs> it's I, just a concept. <laughs> I see people go down both those roads. Obviously, you've got the people that do the elaborate backstories that add nothing to what they can play with. And there's the people that have a gimmick. Yeah. And I think for both players, that's a super frustrating. Like when I was in that position, I was frustrated all the time because I wasn't sure how to get that out and how to add it into a game where you've got four other people with the same kind of problems. Yeah. Like they've got rich backstories. And how do you jam all that in there? Because nobody's, no one person's going to take the spotlight for all that long. And yet, like, I remember being frustrated because you keep playing with these bonds and flaws and personality traits, trying to figure out what gives your character something good, how to work in their troubled and storied pasts, but nothing seems to actually translate Mm -hmm. to the table. That's such a frustrating feeling. And when this is done well, that really allows you to grapple your character and really hold on to them and feel more attached to them because like when you're talking about kind of flimsy characters that don't really have much going on other than a gimmick it's okay if they die like half the time you'll just forget about them and they end up on a pile of character (laughs) sheets in the corner that nobody ever touches and go ah that was this one that was just a neat concept this was kind of a neat concept but none of them mean anything to you none of them you're going to end up in a bidding war on eBay over a tricorn <laughs> hat where <laughs> you absolutely need this for your character so that you can wear it at the table. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that personally. It's so fun to get into those characters that much, to be just sunk <laughs> in. Yeah, totally invested. So that's why today we're talking about a simple way that we've found to actually give these characters direction in the story that's playing out at the table. It's actually a fairly simplistic system, very similar to the to the Bond's flaws and so on, but it actually has a point driving towards it that really allow you to, to really get into the meat of what a character needs to exude on the, at the table and where they're gonna go next. And that's by giving them problems. So let's talk about that in the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so what steps to take and what to consider with a new character? Let's roll this out. Well, I think this is powerful because for me, goals have always been tricky to come up with for my characters because I don't really know where to start. Like, goals are tricky for me in real life. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a person who doesn't know how to set goals. I yeah. think of all these different <laughs> possibilities for goals, but I never settle on one. Yeah, it's just that that big concept, that big thinking that it's really hard to kind of pin down. And like you say, if you if you struggle to do it for yourself, how are you going to do that for a character? <laughs> yeah. And I think that thinking of my problems for my character and again, for myself is way easier. I can sit here and talk about my problems all night if you want. <laughs> well, and same same can be said for bonds and flaws and, and all of that is just that sometimes they're really hard to come up with. What do you as a person consider your personal bond? Like, what does that mean to you um, as a person? My bed. <laughs> I am bonded to my bed. That <laughs> Water? <laughs> I really, I, yeah, I care a lot about drinking 
water. Staying and, alive? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. D&D. So <laughs> problems, like you say, are way easier to figure out for a character. They they just they come a lot easier. They come a lot more naturally. Yeah. Like my problem right now is I got a sore foot. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have a sore foot? <laughs> From walking. <laughs> Fair enough. You do walk like 25K a day. Now I got a quest. I kind of suck at planning. That's that's my problem. <laughs> Fair enough. That's an identifiable problem. I have to. I'm due to go on a motorcycle trip here in about 35 minutes, and I don't. <laughs> I didn't plan. I don't have my stuff packed. We're recording a podcast instead. <laughs> so the way we approach these problems, every character has problems. So you have an external problem, an internal problem, and a philosophical problem. And if we can nail all three of these down, then we have a character that we can find a lot more to do in role-playing, in different uh, situations, communication and... with other players at the table, other characters. Yeah, there's just there's so much more richness to feed off of when you consider what are these kind of problems that are plaguing this character. And you can figure out behaviors a lot easier if you can nail them down. For sure. Because I'm sorry to keep going to real life here, but... Problems are what stick with you through the day. You're always thinking about your problems. And they determine how you behave. Yeah. They determine what you prioritize in your life. So why does your character want the gold? Well, to probably help out with a problem. There's an underlying yeah. problem that they're trying to fix. So let's start with external problems. So external problems are what pressures or problems is the world putting on your hero? So these are everything outside, everything without their control. What is kind of basically attacking yeah. and and happening to the character? Yeah, like if we want to take a the, one of the most popular heroes, Spider Man, in the most recent movie, Far From Home, the external problem is just that there's some crazy stuff going on overseas. Like holy smokes! Yeah, and Nick Fury wants him constantly to be a hero he's just like hey step up you little shit yeah that's a that's an external problem that spider-man can't personally solve necessarily so a DD example might be you know in your character's backstory my uncle is an evil lord or you know he wants you found because you carry a treasure or some, some kind of family heirloom. That... A MacGuffin. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something. I've got a thing that my uncle wants and he's got squads roaming around looking for me. It's a carved gold statue of a bird, but it's got a gooey caramel center. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's chocolate. It's like wrapped in foil. Yeah. It's like an uh, yeah, it's like an Easter bunny. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> he wants he wants that gooey center. <laughs> That's straight out of Spaceballs. Really? Yeah. Oh. Where he unwraps the medallion and he takes a big <laughs> bite out of it. Totally forgot. <laughs> oh, subconscious, you treat me. So this can give your character a lot of meaning for say a dungeon crawl. Yeah. Oh, you know, you you've come across a, a sword in the dungeon. And now all of a sudden, rather than your character just being like, well, I use short swords, so this is obviously mine. Yeah. Which is a flimsy, you know, you can't role play that shit. Just tying it to the mechanics. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, you're going, oh, that short sword is a better short sword for running my uncle through. 
<laughs> talking about the revenge you'll get someday. If your group is heading to the city, your character's all of a sudden worrying about if your uncle's henchmen are going to be there. You're trying to ask questions about that, like trying to figure out more about the city for that purpose. Have you seen any soldiers flying a blue banner? That's the banner of my uncle. Of a golden bird. <laughs> yeah. And you're not you're not trying to take the, the entire party off on a side quest or anything like that looking for bannermen, but you are adding some character flavor to every interaction. You know, you're talking about this is the sword that I will kill my uncle with. This is, you know, you're just looking out for these individuals that might be looking for you. And it just adds more flavor to every interaction. And it adds more stakes. Like they don't have to be the, the main stakes that's happening right now, but it's just like, oh, here's a looming threat. That... But the nice thing is, is that once you establish that external problem, the DM can do so much yeah. with that if they choose. If it works into their story or they can wrap the entire story around all of the characters' external problems to make an appearance, well, then eventually the DM's going to pick up on that. Great. I'll throw some bannermen in the next town. Yeah. And now all of a sudden that's a different story. Now it's all about you and you're giving, you're feeding the DM what they need to craft a story around your character. Some creative juice. As opposed to a 13 page document that you're going to forget all of the details of <laughs> and you're the dm will actually go to the hours and hours of work to add one of those details in and like i've done this in the past myself you've worked in points from seven's backstory that you forgot about that i completely <laughs> forgot about i was just like it went straight over my head because it's so rich and so deep I'm giving you the wide eyes, like, yeah, oh, like, where's the recognition? Where's he, he going to get it? And it's like, nope. He didn't get I'm it. I'm giving you another. <laughs> Let me remind you Swing of your Swing and a miss. <laughs> Let's turn to characters that we've actually done a little better with. I've definitely learned from this. My newest character is kind of a big, brawny, beefy Goliath. He's a, just a, a straightforward Goliath fighter, which could be a really boring character, but... I've actually used essentially the same concept to create a squad of drow that are hunting him to bring him back to the Underdark. He was raised in the Underdark as kind of just a an enforcer, I guess. He's just kind of like muscle. Yeah. He's, just, he's owned by one of the families. He's just a useful tool. That was his only purpose down there. Yeah. And so he has since escaped... And now he's exploring this above ground world that's all brand new to him and it's a lot of fun and he's kind of whimsical, but he's also for a big beefy dude, he's constantly suspicious, he's constantly looking over his shoulder and now he, I get to play him as a giant man who is legitimately scared of nothing except for the drow. And I can build the drow up as this incredible boogeyman that might be hunting the party. DMing that game was fun because I could pepper things in. You could pepper in a drow, whether or not the drow was actually looking for me or not. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, I can play off of that and I can add a real reaction, a visceral like, oh my god, like, everyone, everyone, stay away. Yeah. Like, let's go this it's way. It's like, what are you? Why are you afraid of this? <laughs> yeah. You're afraid of a single person. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? My recent character, he had a brief backstory where he encouraged his last party to con some giants. And the giants ended up killing the rest of his party. He played dead. Yeah. And so because of that, he... I mean, it's kind of tropey to be that last man standing 
Soul Survivor. Eh, but I, I think if you do it well, it's yeah. And I think the point of tropes in D and D, like tropes when you're watching a movie are different because you're like, I've seen this story, but D and D is great because you get to play out this story. So if you start with a trope, you can. It's you doing it. It's so much more satisfying. You can take it in new directions. Well, and tropes aren't universally bad because they also help other players at the table understand the stakes really quickly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm familiar with this. Now I'm on board to your character. I can play off of that. So, you know, if my character was in a dungeon, he's saying, everyone take a shield before we go into this dungeon. Uh, Be careful down there for his new party. He doesn't want his new party to die. Yeah. If he was in the city, he would be trying to find information on giants and like what what are the big dangers around here? He's trying to keep his party members safe when they get into the shit. You might have a disadvantage when fighting giants just because you're overwhelmed by the the kind of guilt. Yeah. Like you can add those things into the party of just like, what do I do in this scenario when I have to face giants again? Based on my problem. So then... We want to look at the internal problem, which is how they're feeling as a result of that external problem. We touched on it a bit, but going back to the classic Spider-Man, he's he's feeling like he just wants to live a normal life. Yeah. He just wants to be a teenager. That's why he's always been so identifiable. Like, why do I have to do this? Why isn't there somebody else? Why am I just the one with the gifts? I just want to be like a normal person. That's a great internal problem. Yeah. It's so relatable. It's so, you know, all of us dream about having superpowers, but none of us really consider what the responsibility is around that and that whole great power, great responsibility stuff. Yeah. So as a D&D example, is it worth keeping this treasure protected? Like our, our character whose uncle is hunting them, is it worth keeping this treasure protected at my own and everyone else's peril? If they're being hunted, they're in danger. So what is this MacGuffin? Does it open a portal to the nether realm? Does the it... land of chocolate and honey. <laughs> Are you hungry? <laughs> I've been craving sweets recently. Yeah. <laughs> You've been dropping a lot of candy hints. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so does this character, you know, what are they wrestling with in terms of trying to keep this thing safe or keep this out of the hands of their evil uncle the wrestling with that moral question within themselves yeah they might be uh taking extra steps to sleep in inns under false names like this is just one small interaction that you can add in there the rest of your party knows your name so when the innkeeper says oh yeah what's the name for the the room and you give a false name blueberry muffin no <laughs> no that's not a character name changler changler bot <laughs> sure they they could be hiring other people to be lookalikes for Ooh. for themselves. Yeah. Like other people in town to walk around and say like, "Hey, can you use this name? I'm trying to throw these people off my trail." Yeah. Now all of a sudden you've got something to do with your spoils of that last dungeon crawl. Yeah. You got money. You're trying to spend it like everyone else is. Why aren't you buying better armor? And it's like, <laughs> "No, seriously, this is going to pay itself off." And you just get to do something with your money that is character-driven rather than, well, this gives me an extra plus one. 
Especially in those games where you're sitting on like 200 gold pieces and you can't figure out what to do with it. Yeah. 5e has some serious balance uh, <laughs> challenges around money and the accumulation of wealth. You just don't know what to spend it on. Uh, what a problem to have. <laughs> so going back to our personal examples. Well, my character, because of that whole giant situation, he was feeling like a coward because he failed to actually protect his party didn't think he had any courage and that was you know making him feel pretty shitty yeah so i mean because of that he was always trying to find alternatives to a simple full frontal attack on any kind of enemy because thinking this could go wrong Mm. i underestimated my last challenge he was working towards learning more skills from his party members that would prevent similar things happening again that actually led to a really satisfying part of the game which was that he dipped into cleric and he got some cleric abilities and and that was a pretty rich part of his story but well and i liked that this character was constantly wrestling with am i brave or am i not yeah am i a hero am i gonna save my party or should i run and hide because i have this serious self-preservation bent which caused the deaths of my previous party so it was like you had some serious internal conflict that your character was constantly wrestling with. And once the rest of the players at the table figured that out, what that internal conflict was, it became pretty poignant when he would rush into the fray. It was like, oh, we're in some serious shit because the the cowardly rogue (laughs) is rushing in to help us. Yeah, that's a good point. It created a lot more to each combat decision. Yeah. And yours? Well, with this character, I have started to kind of play him as trying to figure out internally whether or not he is more than just a servant or muscle. Because if this is what he's been raised to do, and this is what he's been conditioned mentally, um, you know, you're not you're not a person. You're just a big brutish tool. With a hammer. With a hammer. Smash it. <laughs> yeah. So I play him up as finding joy in all these little things. Like he loves stew at the tavern <laughs> and just overwhelmingly so. Uh, he's f- caring for plants and like he's a big, gentle, softy doughboy that has a real heart, but he's just discovering that. Like he's discovering it now. So I get to play him with almost a childlike whimsy for some stuff and then other stuff when combat happens. Now all of a sudden, he's a fucking monster. Just reverts to that. Yeah, like the other part kicks in where he's just like, this is what I was raised to do. This is what I do best. Um, So yeah, he's like living life to the fullest with blood on his knuckles. And he's kind of wrestling with what's his purpose? What's his internal purpose? What I liked about that that whimsy in the role-playing parts of the game was that you would do it in response to whatever came the party's way. Like if you you guys had to go into kind of a a druid's shop for him to discover that love of plants. That was really easy to do with that character because he'd just never been exposed to it. So, And there's so many different scenarios that you can play with because if he's trying to find hobbies and he's like exploring the world of things that do bring regular people joy that he's never been exposed to before, well, then he's learning to play the flute with his nose. And he's (laughs) he's just like, he's, he's just whimsical. Yeah. Just trying things. For being a Goliath that hits things to death. Yeah. And then we have the philosophical problem, which is the greater question being asked in the story, kind of the moral side of it. 
what's the yeah what's the lesson to be learned with going back to spider-man how much responsibility do those with power have to use it for everyone else it's like the crux of all of the spider-man stories with great power comes great responsibility yeah and i mean far from home did that so well he was trying to escape it the entire time and it was almost like a retelling of his origin story without having to tell his origin story (laughs) yeah totally it was just this theme is going to come up throughout your entire life and that has been pervasive among every spider-man story ever and what's made the good ones good yeah yeah is that at the core there's this this philosophical question that's being asked and it sounds more complex than i think it needs to be it's actually pretty pretty simple and in terms of say like that D example what's more important survival or justice if your uncle is hunting you and you're putting other people at risk do you want to exact justice on that uncle or do you just want to survive should you cast that thing into the ocean but risk that one day your evil uncle will find it like all of these things can come out in that character yeah quickly touching on that spider-man example again i think it's important to remember that even though we know that theme of spider-man that new spider-man was still satisfying even though you could almost predict what he's going to do so again using a simple idea to direct your character in D is not a bad thing yeah don't worry about the tropiness or the simplicity of it if it informs playing a cool game and playing a character in a predictable way like the predictability of a lot of great characters is what makes those characters so joyful. And, you know, Homer Simpson is always going to be an idiot. He's always going to be a dum-dum. But in the end, when he comes back around, that's the resolution to an episode is Homer learned a valuable lesson against his better, against his his nature, <laughs> which, you know, that's what makes these characters rich. That what, what's make them... That's what makes them so much fun. And that's what makes them watchable again and again and again. So with my going back to my character with his giant problem, his philosophical problem was going back to courage. What is courage? Is it facing down certain death or becoming stronger through the painful experiences that we have? Yeah, that was that was pretty powerful because your character did really have an arc throughout that story. And you slowly went from always cowardly to always brave. Yeah. And but each time I tried being brave, it was kind of a moment for that character. Yeah. And it it had impact every single time until that became the new normal for your character. With mine, the philosophical question was, how does a person find their purpose in a brand new world? If you were set to say, hey, you know what? You're brand new to everything. What is the meaning of all of it? What is the purpose? Do you forge ahead and become your own kind of person and give up all of everything that you've ever known? That's made you strong up to this point. And made you special. Yeah. Or and abandon that and become somebody different. Or do you lean in to kind of those baser instincts and just hit and fight and bite? Do what you're good at. Yeah. Because he wasn't good at keeping plants alive. (laughs) At least at first. No, he he certainly wasn't. Bunch of dead ferns in the window. So to recap, keep your problems revolving around a single simple theme. You know, work towards that philosophical problem. Figure out what your it, figure out what your external problem is. Figure out what your internal problem is, and then 
it'll all lead towards that philosophical. And that can help you identify which way you want to go with that character. And figure out what your character's feeling in every moment. Yeah, you can just reference that. And if you want to go an extra level deeper, you can reference one of those five character traits we've that talked we about before covered in a previous episode and and you've got everything you need to play a really what feels like a, an incredibly deep and rich character but really just has a few lines of what you need yeah it's still simple it's not going to become overwhelming and complex so if you consider say a band grab a beat and stick to it you know the the drummer picks up a beat yeah that bass comes in with another one and it makes it one more layer complex. It's still, if you if you strip away the rest of the instruments, each one is very simple. It's very simple. <laughs> and that's the problem with making a character that is so complex that you yourself can't keep all of the story points straight in your head. You're missing all of these points. You're not really sure how to role play. Stick to something that's simple because when all of those instruments come together, it sounds great. Versus every musician switching gears every 10 seconds and kind of just like doing some solo jazz well it's it's like solo jazz but imagine five people doing a different <laughs> tune of solo jazz yeah, at the same time like that's a mess that's but not a song just like that ain't a story it also allows the dm to focus and say okay this is going to be your solo and now you get to do a little bit of a solo in the yeah. middle of this song you get your moment and then it gets to switch to an, another instrument. And so everyone at the table creates this wonderful tapestry. But if any one of them is just doing their own friggin' thing with an incredibly uh, complex <laughs> tune, it's just, it's going to muddle and it's going to just sound like static. That was weird. Okay. So we're going to move on um, to a new segment. This is another new one. It's called the hiring board. Because it's always fun to think about NPCs. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there, I think the concept here is that somewhat ready-made characters that you can throw into your game, whether you want to add them as an NPC for your character or you want to throw them in as a DM, as somebody that your party can come up against, whether it's a a shopkeeper or a monster or this or that, but they're a little bit more fleshed out than, say, just a stat block. Yeah. Well, no no stat block specifically here. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing stat blocks. Uh, that would be a really boring show. <laughs> All right, off to the hiring board. You can find brave souls or helpful travelers that can aid you on your quest here at the hiring board. So the reason we're doing a hiring board for this one is because... With those three problems that we talked about, I thought that it would make really quick and easy NPCs, specifically allies, that you could throw in for the party to run into. And not just like somebody in town, but I was thinking you're always coming across groups of monsters and enemies, and those monsters usually have some traits that are kind of assigned to them. I was thinking, how easy would it be to flip those? Use these problems and make an NPC. We'll get into what we're talking about here. Okay, let's try this with the most simple of simple creatures, the goblin. So walk us through how we do this. <laughs> okay, 
Okay, good stuff. That's in Goblin. Yeah, not for common. A Goblin's typical traits are cowardly and stupid. I mean, there's more that you could dive into, but that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So the opposites of those are courageous and smart. So you're just flipping the script on both of those traits. Yeah. And then if you just build your problems from that, a courageous and smart goblin's external problems would be his community is always killing people and he's not really into that. Making him kill people even. Who knows? Sure. Their internal problem is that killing feels shitty and they hate that their friends run from every fair fight. Yeah, if they're courageous, this bothers them on a deep internal level. Yeah, they just always feel out of place. It's that classic misfit idea. And their philosophical problem could be that the goblin should be celebrated for the differences that they bring to their group. Like falling in line is a good thing in a goblin culture, but the whole point being that, yeah, you should embrace those individual differences. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So what's a scenario where that we could put our players into where we can introduce this goblin? <laughs> I feel like you always run into a situation where you're fighting a group of goblins. Yeah. And goblins usually react with once you kill some of them and the fight turns in your favor, the rest are going to scamper away. Okay. Yeah. But now there's one that stays. Yeah. One steps forward. <laughs> like the rest of the party has them at a disadvantage or has them cornered or something like that. Like I could very easily see this like one brave little goblin is like, no, I've got this. <laughs> it's like, no, there's five full grown adventurers that are about to kick your ass. <laughs> but they're smart too. So what if they, you know, they know they're not going to be able to take down five heroes. Yeah. So they throw down their weapons They make it clear that they're kind of surrendering. And this is a test of the murder hoboiness of your party because if they <laughs> kill them, then this is over. Yeah, pretty well. This this whole encounter is moot. <laughs> but I mean, what if they started talking in other languages? Elven. Yeah. Like, like what they if they found an elven book that they taught themselves? Maybe they're trying to communicate with the party in a way that their other goblins can't understand them. So they're running through languages. Yeah. Maybe they're saying the same phrase in like five different <laughs> languages that they learned from... And the dwarf is like, what? <laughs> Just like, I'm looking for parlay in Elvish and Dwarven. It's like, this goblin's different. So then if you actually take the time to communicate with that goblin, then they're your friend. Then they're leading you through and you can take them out into the world. And that becomes That's such cool. a delightful, a delightful change yeah. from what you would normally expect from a goblin. Yeah. I mean, who knows where your party takes that after that? Yeah. Like, they get introduced to that goblin. Anything can happen now. They can be a guide through the goblin tunnels. They could go with the party. Like, you have a new NPC all of a sudden. Yeah. Who's interesting and intelligent and has a different perspective on everything. <laughs> I love a good DMPC. Yeah. Especially one that isn't just like a person, uh, like a human or a normal. Yeah. Well, what if you took uh, took the same thing to an orc? So a typical trait of an orc would be like aggressive and maybe impatient. Yeah, that kind of kind of relates. Aggressive and angry, aggressive and impatient. So if you were to switch those, you could probably arrive at like, well, peaceful yeah. is, would be the opposite of aggressive and patient or kind. Understanding. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, understanding, thoughtful. Well... If you had, say, an external problem for 
somebody that is an is an orc and is peaceful and kind. Love it. You'd have an orc that lives within a, a community that is their entire world, like with orcs. I mean, granted, it's kind of tropey, but typically orcs live in big tribes. Um, you know, that tribal community is everything. But now you've got this person that just really doesn't fit within that normal community of aggressive, impatient orcs. They're always trying to propose different ideas and getting shut down kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're always having trouble at the, you know, at the town hall or <laughs> getting spoken over. Yeah. I definitely with that. Like, yeah. It's just like, uh. <laughs> excuse me, I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and their internal uh, might be that killing feels awful every week. The entire community goes on a raid. Well, they don't like that. They like to try to make deals and they want to trade and they want to have a, a normal exchange, a normal personal exchange. <laughs> so the philosophical question is how badly does one need to belong? Like how important is it that you fit in? Versus doing your own thing and walking your own path. Yeah. Especially in that community vibe, like where that in, that's your support network. Yeah. How do I leave this? How do I get out of here? I'm an orc. Nobody's going to you know, welcome me into their home necessarily. So if this is my whole world, how do I get out of this world w without putting myself in danger? Mm -hmm. So I could very s easily see you know, the party welcoming uh, this orc in for a while, for a time. And the orc's trying to use them to, to understand the greater world. Yeah. Yeah, they're the conduit. Yeah. I, you know, I, I could very easily see introducing this orc in a way that's like, you know, the party comes across a group of survivors from a previous raid and like 80% of the people that fought in the raid against the orcs were killed. But then there's like five or six survivors that are completely unscratched. And, you know, they tell the rest of the party mm. about... This one orc that, like, before swinging his sword, would wink and just kind of, like, fake stab and, like, push you down. <laughs> yeah. Roar and, over top of you. Yeah. And, and then, like, just leave you there in the tall grass to play dead. Squirt. Maybe they even have <laughs> squirt bottle. Yeah. Some uh, fake blood packets they're squeezing out. A squirt you. bottle of pig's blood from the last feast. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, then the party has to encounter these orcs and figure out which one is the one that pulls their punches. Mm. So which then it's ones... not just like a straight fight to the death. It's like, yeah, one of these might be good, not looking to kill us. Yeah, and now you have to figure, like, that becomes a real moral quandary Yeah, and a real challenge for the players to figure out, how do I suss out which one's the good one? Yeah, and if you're not like a moral party, you can still be like, which one's going to help us understand the orcs or yeah find the orcs hideout or boss or whatever yeah this just becomes this kind of interesting challenge and a philosophical challenge for the rest of the party so i think i'm going to use this quite often i find myself struggling trying to introduce an npc into the kind of loose story that i've created and i don't know how to start creating them yeah. I'm just like, should I make them weird in this way? But, but following this really simple format. Yeah, I think it's pretty powerful. It's yeah. pretty useful. So hopefully you can take any characters that may have been a little bit flat and turn them into something that becomes 
better and more interesting to play as the game goes on. I reinvent characters all the time. Yeah, you go from something that could have been really flat to something that has a little bit more to work with as a player and then plays nicely within that band that is uh, that is your party. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening to 50 episodes. <laughs> no kidding. Or one, if this is your first. <laughs> or this. Either way, we still appreciate the heck out of you. Absolutely. You can also say thanks to Tabletop Audio for all of the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can find what we're doing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit at the username Hook and Chance. All right, so thank you for listening listening and and, uh, play great games. I'm going to go find a caramel center. You need to read. Yes, (laughs) you need this. I encourage the same for all of you.